0: So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Castbox, and all your favorite podcast players. Join the Pharmacy Podcast Nation today.
1: Hey, this is a shout out to all pharmacy owners out there. You're champions of your community during this pandemic. Your pharmacy is more important than ever before. There's a product out there I'd like you to take a look at. I'm talking about the Pen Needle UltiGuard Safe Pack. For the same copay for your patients as Pen Needles alone, the UltiGuard Safe Pack provides 100 premium Pen Needles and a Sharps container all in one. When pharmacies dispense the Pen Needle UltiGuard Safe Pack, they see consistently higher revenue and higher margins. Check this product out today and let us know what you think. Go to www.ultiguardsafepack.com forward slash podcast. That's ultiguardsafepack.com forward slash podcast. You can get a free sample pack on the website. Thanks for all you do as frontline healthcare providers. And thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast. hard for me to fathom this, but it's 2020, and I'm at that mid-career level myself, as many of you that are listening are, and I am assisting this next generation of pharmacists in leveraging digital for branding and awareness and consumption of information, huge on Twitter. If you're not following hashtag uh, TwitterRx, please do so. It's so much fun, and it's just great to see our community growing and building. I'm Todd Urie. I'm the founder of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. If you have not ever listened, welcome. Um, And if you are a longtime listener, I so much appreciate you. I can't believe what's happening to the voice of pharmacy through podcasting and how many podcasts have sprouted out um, since I started the very first one in 2009 and how many are being used and leveraged to advance efforts and advance clinical practice and provider status and pbm reform the, the podcast listeners know about the series transforming a nation transforming a nation is pharmacists leading change literally leading change these people that have been on this series are doing that in fact we started out with racism which once again, it's 2020. I can't even believe we're even talking about that. And then we move to health disparities. This is a little bit more easy for me to swallow, even though it's it's still unacceptable because I understand where we are as a nation just generally in healthcare and so many of the nuances of what's happening in that. Number three, we dug into spirituality and medicine and really how there's sensitivity around that. We have multiple beliefs and spirituality and religions and things that Dr. Richard Harris really helped us to dig into. Today is, in my opinion, from my perspective, um, and you may feel the same way, you may not, but this is, this is the most sensitive of topics, not because of it, the content per se, but the fact that I can't believe, once again, it's 2020 and this is happening. Today's episode is about addressing sexual harassment in um, in any really in anything. Goodness gracious, in business and whatever. But today we're going to concentrate on addressing sexual harassment, gender harassment in pharmacy, and this has come about another noticeable issue resurrected and really put a lot of emphasis on once again, during a Twitter interaction with several pharmacists. And we have uh, two very special guests today, extremely brave guests. I'm just inspired by both of them, and the sincerity that they're bringing to an issue that is absolutely unacceptable. I'd like to welcome uh, Dr. Brittany Bissell to the uh, Pharmacy Podcast Nation, and also Moishta Hevner to Transforming the Nation. Uh, Welcome, both of you. Thank you so much. Once again, daughter, for really, I just like in the racism episodes, I don't have specific understanding of what's happening. I I want to, you know, and sincerely, really, I want to. I'm I'm a mid age white guy in the profession of pharmacy. Have been here since 2004 podcasting since 2009 talked with thousands of healthcare professionals thousands of pharmacists mostly pharmacy owners female pharmacy owners female pharmacists and they've started to really break into and finally bring this to light again and saying this is the last I think this is the last time we do this to bring this to light so that we can end this so I want the two of you to introduce yourselves to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation. I also want you to set the stage for this after we get to know you a little bit. So I'm gonna start out uh, with Brittany.
2: Yeah, so um, I am Brittany Bissell. I am an assistant professor. Uh, I have been in my position for about four years now. I am a clinical pharmacist, In the medical intensive care unit. I am pretty active in research and a couple of uh, pharmacy and multidisciplinary professional organizations. Um, But most importantly, I'm a mentor and preceptor of pharmacy residents, um, and I do some teaching within our College of Pharmacy as well.
1: Excellent. Mojda, we want to know about you too.
3: Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm Hefner. Um I am an associate professor at uh, University of Maryland School of Pharmacy, um, and I practice in a medical intensive care unit also. Um, I have been in practice for a little over 10 years. Um, and like Brittany, I think that one of the most important aspects of my job and the aspects that I enjoy most is mentorship of, of students and residents junior practitioners Um, and also I I practice as the vice chair for clinical uh, services at the School of Pharmacy um, and through that um, have the opportunity to provide some mentorship of my colleagues as well um, and really promote the profession of pharmacy as a whole.
1: Here's the staging for this. So a study published NCBI um, website, um, uh, the American Journal of Pharmaceutical Education, Dr. Rebecca Schoen, uh, Dr. Amy Henneman publish in, in April of 2020, Addressing Sexual and Gender Harassment in Pharmacy Education to Improve Provider Wellness and Patient Care. Research indicates widespread sexual harassment has not sig- significantly decreased in healthcare over the, the, several, the last several decades. Attention focused on sexual harassment in the last few years has prompted a renewed conversation in healthcare about these complex issues and the unique challenges that they present. Given the significant implications for individuals, organizations and patient care, addressing harassment should be a priority. Pharmacy schools supporting pharmacy organizations should proactively address sexual and gender harassment and provide education about this issue. Really nice way to lay this out, put this into a study. We all respect these peer reviewed uh, sources. But let's get into the weeds now. I want to turn this show over to you. This is your platform, and I want you to both talk to each other about why this is resurged. Um, You're able to say and do whatever you want. This is your platform, and I want the listeners to listen in and tune in and understand the impact. It does not matter if you're a woman or a man in the profession of pharmacy. This must stop, and I want both of you to, um, to take over from here.
2: So, you know, as far as it relates to, I guess, you know, any type of gender inequality or or just harassment issues in this profession, I've taken a lot of time lately to reflect back on when this started for me or when I first experienced this. And I think it's funny because, or ironic, not, not nearly as funny that, when I reflect back on my time in the pharmacy career, it's something that I've probably seen from the second that I stepped onto a rotation um, as a pharmacy student. And I think there's a bigger problem at hand here in the culture in itself of what our culture is and how p- prominent this is in our culture that even as a female going into a professional rotation that I don't even know if it triggered any alarms to me at that point of what was really going on. So. So for me, as far as harassment goes and when this started, so when this really started and when this became something that, I guess, triggered an alarm for me internally was when I was a pharmacy student and I was interviewing for residency. Um, I was interviewed by a a resident on site that gave me a tour that after my interview day was like, hey, you know, I see you may have similar interests to me. Here's my information. If you ever have any questions, please don't hesitate to get to get in touch. And as someone who was a resident, another trainee, um, I thought really nothing of it of uh, a number exchange. Um, things escalated from there. Uh, numbers were exchanged, and and soon after, I, I texted this person and asked a couple of questions about the program. Soon after they added me on Snapchat. And before too long, I was getting just really uncomfortable pictures on Snapchat, pretty, I mean, completely unsolicited, but I, I really just didn't know what to do at that point. Um, and so I actually deleted the application altogether. That was, gosh, six or seven years ago now, and I still refuse to add Snapchat back for that reason. And so from that point, I think. I really just set myself or cut myself off from those types of interactions. And then as I continued throughout residency, I knew of this individual and I knew these interactions kind of existed, but they weren't really affecting me because I had completely segregated myself in a way that I, I wouldn't have those kinds of interactions. And fast forward a couple years later, and here I am in my position at the University of Kentucky, and I've had a couple of different residents and students now come to me with issues that they're experiencing some some sort of inappropriateness in one way or another from an individual. And this ranges anywhere from, you know, a what seemingly seems as a, as a wink in a text message or a wink in a private message um, that just kind of comes blindsides you, but all the way to the receipt of, you know, private messages and really inappropriate pictures that just kind of came out of nowhere, um, wrapped up in this context of almost mentorship in a way, and that, you know, you would get a, a, a statement about, hey, a project that's ongoing, or interviews that are ongoing, and in between you get this random picture that you really didn't ask for and you really didn't see. And, you know, over the past, couple of months, I think this has started to get even more attention. And for me, um, I think really the, the, at the point in which I said, I'm, I have to do something. It We've hit a point now where we can take no more is I recognize that there was a student who actually had had some inappropriate interactions and had was, was scared or concerned about coming forward with these interactions about this individual because she knew that individual knew me. Um, even though this person wasn't someone that I really worked with closely or had a lot of close relationships or even personal or professional ties to, she had seen our names together before and so there was this fear of association that maybe this is just something we accept or maybe this is something that all women have had to deal with and so she didn't come forward or or she was hesitant in coming forward with that interaction and at that point i realized this is this is a culture that is going to continue to be perpetuated and if we continue to just turn a blind eye or deal with our our one-off situations or what we feel like are one-off situations with different people on our own. And we don't, we're not more vocal about it. There won't ever be anything to drive systemic change, um, to stop these types of actions.
1: So I want to just pause for a second and bring in this perspective on the, on the other side. So I'm the guy, right. And I worked at Sprint Business right out of, uh, college. Uh, when I was in the telecom industry. And I was mixed in with um, in a team of 30 representatives that went to small businesses throughout Western Pennsylvania. And it was all about B2B. And we had a team of 30 people, and 10 of them were women. And in in my own witness of this, it was accepted, as you just said, to have a a level, let's say level one through 10. One is that wink, okay, that you mentioned. 10 is blatant, you know, groping, grabbing, the most of disgusting actions that could happen, you know, putting somebody against a door or in an elevator. So that's a 10. So I would really witness between ones and threes of, of volatility or or harassment in of itself. And even that was, you know, Brought up to human resources, and lots of scuttle budding and rumors would come around into the office. But regardless, the point is, we're in the healthcare. We you we're not in telecom. We're in healthcare. We're we're in we're saving lives. We're we're professionals in that. So I think there's a level of understanding this more so. Telecom people aren't forced. Well, now they are. They have to go to you know, special education now in human resources, but back in the day they weren't. But we know as human beings that if there was a text sent from someone, a man, me to you, Brittany, Todd to Brittany, I send you a text, hey, nice working with you, enjoy working with you, do you think you wanna get a drink? And Brittany texts back, hey, thanks a lot, but no, I'll pass, I, you know, just trying to push it off without coming across like you're being mean. And all of a sudden, I keep texting you, keep texting you. Next day, keep texting you, keep texting you, keep texting. There it is. And, And guys, you might be listening right now, and you might be saying, what? What do you mean there it is? That's just texting. No, it's not. That's the beginnings of harassment. It's the very beginnings. I want you guys to keep going. I'm so sorry I interrupted. I just wanted to put the context in from the male perspective of where this is beginning, where the bubbles start. And what you don't understand is harassment. You may not consider it harassment, guys, but it is. Regardless of you thinking it was joking, regardless of the way that you thought the context was, regardless of the signals that you didn't think you were sending, it's happening.
3: No, I think that's a really good point, Todd. Um, A lot of it is so subtle, and I am reflecting back There are definitely interactions that I probably brushed off that were probably bordering on inappropriate um, and probably should not have happened. Um, I've been relatively lucky in all of this myself personally in that I haven't encountered um, some of the gross interactions that Brittany described or others have described in the last couple of weeks. Um, But uh, I think I was I was part of the group that was just maybe a little bit more naive um, and blindsided by some of this. I think when a lot of the movement with um, the Me Too movement um, was happening in in healthcare overall and primarily driven by female physicians, um, I of course was a supporter. I, you know, retweeted a lot of things and um, was very much on board, but I don't think that I felt it personally at that time. Um, and I was a little bit again naive in thinking that um, with pharmacy that we were sort of like not impacted by these by these dynamics. Um, as we all know, pharmacy is such a small world, and you would think that if there were these inappropriate interactions, that word would get around very fast um, and I think that's what's so interesting is that some of the word had gotten around you know i with some of the interactions that have been described like i had heard rumblings and things like that but never direct personal accounts and so i i sort of was i consider myself and i'll completely admit this an enabler because um because i did turn a blind eye to some of the rumblings that i had heard um and i think a lot of what is so challenging with this is is that the individuals who the the you know, the people who perpetuate this vicious cycle are sometimes those in power or pers- positions of perceived power, at least. Um, and it's just very challenging to, to determine what to do in those scenarios when our professional networks are so tightly interwoven with one another. We, it is such a small world. So, um, you know, we are dependent on each other for collaborations, and so I think, A lot of people were in my position where they had heard things or had, you know, a sense that something was wrong, um, but maybe had continued collaborations with individuals. Um, For me, where it really, I think, came to light, and I had a moment of, you know, I I really need to step up and speak up for those maybe who feel less comfortable speaking up um, was actually when... Uh, Dr. Smith um, put out her her tweet a couple weeks ago uh, that I know a lot of people are are familiar with, um, and for whatever reason, that just um, triggered something in me um, and made me feel like I needed to speak up on behalf of of um, mentees and others who had come to me, similar to what uh, Brittany described in recent weeks and recent months, um, describing really horrific experiences. Um, as a mentor, I had sort of supported those people and been like a listening ear um, and you know told them you know you need to cut off these interactions, you uh, don't don't work with these individuals anymore. But I don't think I ever actually understood what that what the implications of that was for those individuals and how hard that would actually be um, until I sat down and like self-reflected and was like, "Well, could I cut off my my collaborations with you know, people who who behave in this way? Is it easy for me to do this?" And I'm mid-career. You know, I feel like I'm fairly established. Like I shouldn't have to feel like I'm dependent on anyone else. But I felt that way. I wasn't the victim and I wasn't a student or a resident or you know, more more junior practitioner, but yet I felt that way. And so when I realized this, um, it, for me, it just, it hit me how important it was that we support women who are willing to speak up or even aren't, you know, aren't comfortable yet, just support them and and let them know how they can get help, how they can escalate the issue and how they can get out of these toxic kind of relationships.
1: I'm starting to get Kind of angry because we're when you verbalize something. When I watch things on Twitter, I'm I, I'm I'm doing nine other things. I mean, <laughs> I'm running all day long. But now that we're sitting here and I'm concentrating and I'm listening to you, and now there's literal heat coming off of my back. So referencing the tweet. So f- there's listeners today that aren't Twitterers. We call you Tweeple, and then our community is Twitter. Rx. It's amazing. I can't believe that this thing's growing like it is. It's so much fun. So hashtag Twitter. Rx. So if you're not a Twitter person, um, a tweeter, um, Dr. Rebecca Smith farm D. Um, she tweeted and, and she's at Rebecca E Smith and we'll have things in show notes. She tweeted a picture. And the first time I saw this, um, once again, I was like, I didn't know what I was seeing, to tell you the truth. I thought it was a cartoon or something, but then I really looked into this. So she tweeted a picture of some text messages of a a man in beige jeans with an erection. And he wrote, I'm but a hard worker and am happy to be pushed to push others. And then he thought he's being funny and cute. And he wrote, pants were too tight today with some monkey faces, like the monkey, I see no evil faces. And then he texts again, I push a lot, ha ha. Okay, remember that scale I was talking about, the one through 10? I think we're already at like an eight, you know, definitely an eight and a half, maybe eight. So we're already at the point that, this isn't even questionable. This isn't the wink. This isn't the you know, the there's the harassment that's too many texts even though they might not be as grotesque as this one is. Maybe it's just a text, maybe it's a wink, a high or a remote, maybe we have one of these emoji harassers. Women, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They just keep sending emojis, okay? Though that's not what we're talking about here. This this is grotesque this is blatantly, this is to that level where if this were my, if, if this happened to you, Brittany, and you're my sister, like this is the kind of situation where I start hunting this person down online and literally confronting them in a way that could probably destroy their careers. And, and we, there's like, so I want to talk a little bit about that too. Like, what do we do about this? And let's use this like we're in, a, in, a, in an environment. We're in a learning environment right now, Pharmacy Podcast Nation. This is learning. This, this could be turned into a course. This is an actual situation. So I'm going to turn it over to the doctors on the podcast because I'm not a doctor and I am not a pharmacist and I am not a woman. So I should not be teaching this. I'm going to turn it back to both of you
2: um well i think when it comes to what we do (laughs) or what we need to do i think there's probably a number of things quite obviously that we need to accomplish in all of this i think you know We've talked, I've, I've heard a couple of comments now about this is, you know, a female-dominated, or this is pharmacy, right, or this is a professional career. You know, we're a pretty female-dominated profession. Or We keep hearing that, right? So if you even look at the Twitter posts, I think there are some people that are on there. How does this, this is a female-dominated pr- profession. This can't happen. Well, I think this goes into, you know, the overall gender inequality issues overall and that you know, even in a position where you're 10 years out or you're 10 years into your career or you're a mid-career female, you still have this perception of power of, a, of other men in the profession, even if they're younger than you or less experienced than you, and that prevents you from speaking up against them. And I think that's the first area to all of this, is this just overall level of gender inequality, whether it feels like it or not, and whether it's thrown in your face in that way or not, it's the fact that there are women that are afraid to speak up, even if they're 15 years into their career, when there are a lot of men that aren't afraid to speak up at all in the setting of something like this or in the setting of something even way way more minor way more vocal about way less severe things and we just don't we don't have that in our profession as women at all i think the other thing we keep saying is you know we always hear rumblings and I think that is the point and when it has to stop, right? I think pharmacy has, if you ask a lot of people about if, they, if they've heard something or if they've heard a rumor or they may have an idea that someone seems a little off, I, I can tell you more times than not that they've not followed up on that, right? And I think we have this idea that we are professionals and we work hard and we want to focus on the job. And so because of that, we don't get up in the quote unquote drama of what that is, but this isn't this isn't drama. This is serious and this is this is human life. This is someone's life. And so when we start hearing rumblings I think we must make it a priority to follow up on those, that anything that is a rumor either needs to be squashed and the rumbling needs to stop or it needs to be followed up on with action. And I think we're all guilty of that, right? I even I even said it, I perpetuated this, I, I knew about a person and I, I had heard that maybe there was other things going on, but I never sought out those other situations, I never thought that it was any of my business, right? But it's it really is, it's all of our business because this is our entire profession, um, whether you're female or male, you have someone in your life that is probably being impacted by this this action. And I think the other, the last part of this is what we do and where do we go from here. I think this has to have some type of national organization involvement as to where to turn, right, I think, you know, all of us mentors that have been approached with this had no option really to provide our mentees. Um, especially if you talk about residency programs. Students are a little bit different with Title IX, but when you talk about, you know, someone that may be a preceptor from a totally different institution, not even in your program, it's not it's not solidified where you go there. A lot, and if you look at the organizations, ACCP or APH or SHP, if you look at what they say in their documentation, it's not very explicit as to really how they evaluate behaviors like this and complaints like this that are within their organization but not within a single institution right and so I think there has to be a standard set by national organizations and a precedent set forth that says we don't tolerate this and here's the actions that we take as a profession in order to prevent this from happening to the future pharmacists or even our current pharmacists. People need a place to turn and a place to go to. Um, if they can't go to their own institution or if it's not someone within their own institution, they need, they need a, a place to go.
3: I completely agree with you, Brittany. And I think a lot of our um, sexual harassment policies institutionally are probably outdated. Because they are set in a in a time when maybe social media wasn't as um, prevalent in our lives, and you know they don't really take into consideration professional society involvement and kind of like this cross institution overlap. And I know for for me that I when I uh, had a mentee come to me and and um, bring her issues to light. I didn't even know where to start because it wasn't, you know, within our institution. It's like if it's someone in your institution, it's kind of clear based on your policies how you go about reporting that internally. But where it gets really blurry, as you touched on, Brittany, is, is when this is happening across institutions, outside the setting of your formal workplace, it just gets very challenging to really know how, what to do about that. Um, and I, I think a lot of us have just felt like our hands were tied, like this was like uncharted territory when we first started talking about this. And I have just been so proud um to be a pharmacist in uh the professional organizations that we have today with the way that they have responded to this issue that's been brought to so light and just you know, the promptness of the response. Um, to the discussions and the fact that things are being um, brought to light within the organizations um, to to figure out what they can do within their organizations to um, create a process for us, so that um, pharmacists, you know, whether it's clinical pharmacy or beyond, we have a mechanism to report inappropriate behavior within our profession.
1: So I want to pause again to let our listeners know. This is the first of several, and I'm committed to just keep doing this because that's just it. We are not refreshing and refining and sharpening this aspect of our careers as healthcare professionals. And just because we're talking about it right now doesn't mean that it doesn't need to continue to be touched on and brushed up on and sharpened, just like you take CE. In order to keep it in the light so that people understand how unacceptable this is. Let me pause from this specific examples and make another example. So my degree is in business administration. And I also did another dual degree in human resources. And we went through several programs that talked about elements of sexual harassment. If you are in a pharmacy operation setting, everybody pretend we're at, at a at a long-term care pharmacy uh, that you have uh, sections off of workflow and you have your technicians and order entry and and a place for labeling and, and even packaging and there might be even a conveyor conveyor belt and we have four female, females in the room we have four males in the room and two of the males in the room are extremely close they're buddies they go out together they come in it's a monday as they walk in they're laughing as they walk into the operations they're laughing and there's phone calls happening and they set up and they're not late or anything and they're there and then they start referencing something that happened over the weekend at a bar that they went to together just hanging out his buds, and they mention the size of that bar you know bar attendant the size of this woman's breasts, and they make reference to that, and that can be heard by other people, including the male the other two males there's four males, four females that is sexual harassment like that that's not being professional that's not being the code of ethics that maybe that's what should be changed. Maybe the code of ethics that you take a you take an oath when you become a pharmacist. Maybe we need to go there and insert a section that clarifies what that means. What is sexual harassment? So once again, um, I get excited. You guys got me going. Um, and but that's that's a reference here. That's a point to this that. People need to take a step back. And you're absolutely right, Brittany, when you said, and Mojda, you mentioned it. You said that it's th- your fault too. It is. It's women's fault that this is continuing, that this is happening. If you're more than 50% of the pharmacy pharmacists, 283,000 active pharmacists in the United States, and more than 50% of them are women, then why is it still happening? Like, it's time that we all... Get super serious about this and, and make it a thing of the past so that in 10 years from today, it's 2030, God bless the world that we don't go through another 2020, goodness sakes, goodness gracious, but it's 2030. We should never have this come up, maybe periodically from some rogue something that happened, but we shouldn't be talking about this. We shouldn't be talking about racism. We shouldn't be talking about health disparities over and over again, but we have to. We have to make it part of the past. I wanna go back to Majda. You said something that was really interesting about the way that it made you feel. I want you to talk to me about the way it makes other people feel. And and, and that impact on your position as a pharmacist and their position as a pharmacy technician or uh, an administrator or a coworker dig into that for us i
3: mean i think ultimately i feel the way i feel because of how it's made my colleagues feel um i i always like i always joke with my students and residents that once they are on rotation with me or once they work on something with me like they're always part of my family um and you know i have i know you have four girls i have two girls and Um, I'm very protective of my, of my family. So, you know, that applies to my pharmacy family too. And, um, when, when my mentees had reached out about some of the things that were happening to them, you know, I could, I could sense like the genuine, um, anguish that they were feeling and just, and, uh, the guilt I guess that they were feeling too with not feeling comfortable about speaking up. Um, And I think what's interesting is at the time, I, uh, like I said, I really just comforted um, and kind of was a listening ear. Um, But I think what they wanted me to say (laughs) um, when they had expressed their feelings was that they wanted me to tell them, you should report this or you should escalate this. Um, But as a mentor, I don't think I had the skills or understanding at the time to really even know that that, is probably what I should have done. And of course, hindsight is 2020. But I think um, you hit the nail on the head in that, like, just having these discussions is the first step to making this better and making this something that is in the past. Um, I, I truly cannot believe that we that it is 2020. And we are still having these conversations. Mm -hmm. But maybe that's the problem. Maybe we were, uh, you know, similar to the issues with systemic racism. This is systemic sexual harassment and gender inequity that we have really just been in denial about. Um, But it's been there. It has never gone away. Um, If anything, you know, it is, it has been growing kind of like underneath the surface, almost like a metastatic disease since we're all, you know, we're clinical people here. Um, Let's let's bring up a clinical analogy. Um, But I think it's time that we bring it to light And that we really take some action to make some real change, um, talk about it, but also put into place mechanisms to prevent it from happening in the future and create consequences for when it happens. Because I think, I think when we, um, it's one thing to report, it's one thing to bring about awareness, but if there are no consequences, I don't think that, um, I don't think that will result in long-term change.
1: Mojda, was raised in a very affectionate family, okay? We're huggers. My dad hugs me still. Matter of fact, he kisses me still. So we're intimate people. We're into that. So I'm raised that way. Okay, fast forward. I'm at a pharmacy conference, NCPA actually. I think this is like 2000, uh, maybe 2013, right around like mid, mid level of, of the pharmacy podcast age. Cause we had a podcast set up and we were doing interviews and an interview came over. Um, I get excited about people just in general. And then you guys are pharmacists for goodness sake. So that gets me all excited. And this woman pharmacist comes over and she stands up and, um, or I stand up and she comes over to the table and I immediately like reach over and, and give her a hug I, 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 that's me. That's just, I, I can't, sometimes I get too excited, whatever. And when, when I pulled away, I saw a facial expression that made me feel like crap. Like it made me feel bad because she did not, that was not cool. Okay. And that was a time in my career where I was like, it doesn't matter what my intention was. Cause in my heart, I'm just like, it's a pharmacist i'm going to interview a pharmacist i'm on the trade route you know the showroom floor of the ncpa i'm so excited i can't believe it but that didn't matter it, do you understand uh, my intention my my context my the realness you put me on a lie detector it doesn't matter she her feelings matter and you know what that even kind of tripped me up in the interview because i felt like now there was a strange stigma, you know, between us, but therein lies a complete you gentlemen that are out there. You guys are out there. Your intention was completely innocent, right? Not sexual, not trying to get a feel or anything, just excited. Guess what? That's not an excuse. That, that isn't an excuse. And for, to allow that to keep happening, to come up with an excuse that well, I was just excited or I was just trying to say hi, or I was just it it doesn't it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what your excuse is
3: I hope that we can create a culture where you know women feel comfortable speaking up when they don't feel comfortable <laughs> um you know like that interaction i don't I love hugs, so like we're big huggers in my family too, and I think we need more hugs in twenty twenty but um but I can certainly see how other women would not appreciate that but i i hope that we can get to a place where if we don't feel comfortable with an interaction that that we are able to express our voice and say just very directly you know i didn't i didn't like that um and not feel like that's a position of vulnerability you know what i mean
2: Yes. No, you're com- you're completely right, too. And I think you even, it all goes, like, I'm not, okay, for the third person in the group, I'm not a hugger. And if someone <laughs> came up and gave me a hug, I would be like, what is happening? Like, why, why are you in my personal space? That's just who I am as a person. And it means, I mean, no harm, but I have an uncle, right, who is like the biggest hugger in the world. And he asked me every time, is it okay if I give you a hug, right? And that's the perfect standard for me. Of what some any human should give another human before any type of personal interaction or you know, physical interaction, is this okay? Right. And I think the guilt that we feel about standing up for ourselves is because we're often punished for going against whatever the expected outcome is of, of those types of interactions. As a woman, if you speak up about those kinds of things, a lot of the times that people will, you know, blame you or or, or act, why you know, why are you so stuck up or why are you, you know, so, you know, why don't you loosen up a little bit or something of that nature. And I think that it all goes back to the same culture. No matter what you mean, women don't, there's this guilt. Are the, the individuals that have exposed some of these, you know, Interactions they've had have held on to this for not, you know, months, for years and years. And some of them have felt their own guilt because they ever let that interaction occur. They never, we didn't want to talk about this. I would love to never have to talk about this ever again. And we don't if people would let women do their jobs without harassing them and be mentors for the sake of mentorship and be a professional for the sake of being a professional and just be a good human being for the sake of being so without women having to worry about what secondary motives are behind that.
1: Absolutely. So what is happening with this? What's next? What are we going to dig in because of our timing and we really want to go deeper into aspects of sexual harassment the 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 beginning levels the the more um, the more harmful levels and I'm not saying that all of it's not harmful but you you get kind of what I'm saying in that the intensity of this and and where we need to be recognizing how it starts but I think we need to call out the association so part of this series we want national acceptance national support for the effort I I want to commend the both of you in, in really commanding this series and helping to push this. We have a, a hashtag we'd like to use on all social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn. I use LinkedIn all, every day. Um, Twitter, obviously, and that will be hashtag our, O-U-R, and the, then you put an X. So our, R-X, our O-U-R-X, time is now. That will be in the show notes as well. We're also going to be tagging all of the podcasts with that, but it's hashtag our, our RX time is now. And there's one R for RX, obviously pharmacy, but uh, thank you for starting this. This is not, this is not easy for some people more so than other people. You know, when I say this from a place of, of caring, a place of respect, I'm thinking of it as a dad. I'm thinking of it as um, as my own experiences and what I give off. I'm, an, I'm in the publishing industry, goodness sakes. So if there was a stigma about me when I started in 2004 of how many of those national trade shows that I went to, I could be sitting with a bad reputation if I didn't curb or take cognizant understanding of someone's reactions and body signals and don't lie to yourself gentlemen don't lie to yourself women too i'm i'm sure there's instances of that but we all know it's it's more so the men the men that are uh, that are the offenders but i'm not i'm not saying that we don't because it does go both ways but i'm really just trying to concentrate on what is real today this series will continue so if you want to have a story if you want to share something if you want to be anonymous we will all help you everyone on this podcast today will have contact information everybody that's involved in this series are going to have contact information if you want to reach out to the pharmacy podcast and you want to be anonymous i will absolutely keep you anonymous and i will i will push the messaging so there will be a way for us to reach us, but our email address is publisher at pharmacypodcast.com. That's publisher at pharmacypodcast.com. Our studios is 412-585-4001. That's four one two five eight five four zero zero one. Call me. I mean, I'll I'll I'd record you on the spot if you have something to share. I just thank you, but I thank you sincerely that you're starting this and we're pushing this. This is taking us to a different level in what this means for our, our pharmacy family, what this means for our industry. But thank you.
2: Thank you. We, yeah. We appreciate you bringing, you know, doing the podcast and bringing attention to this in, in as many ways as possible. It's
1: appreciated. Please come back to the pharmacy podcast nation pharmacy podcast. You can find us on all the platforms, obviously Apple, Spotify, any place that you can consume podcasts, look for transforming, transforming, a nation podcast series that will be part of that and we will uh, continue to push this out. And as always, I thank you for listening to the pharmacy podcast.